This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. Welcome to Brand and New. I am Audrey Dove, and thank you for listening to this podcast. We value our audience, and to help us enrich your experience, please complete a short five-question survey available in this episode's notes. Born 1997 onward, Gen Z is about to become the world's largest group of consumers, wielding hundreds of billions of dollars in spending power. But whereas lots have been said about the previous generation, millennials, and their impact on marketing and branding strategies, especially online, Gen Z's preferences on brands have not been discussed as much. On track to be the most educated generation yet, Gen Z seem to have strong opinions and values and want to be heard. What does it mean for brands? How to develop the engagement of this new generation? How is this generation reshaping the messages conveyed by brands, particularly referring to ESG, meaning environmental, social and corporate governance? Our guest today, Jeff Fromm, is a renowned expert and speaker on consumer trends, brand strategy and innovation, with a particular focus on youth marketing. Jeff was a pioneer in researching millennials and Gen Z from a marketing perspective by leading the first large public-facing study on the topic with the Boston Consulting Group 10 years ago. With over 25 years of experience in marketing across a wide variety of brands, Jeff is the president of the think tank Futurecast and a partner at Barclay based in the US. He's also a contributing writer for Forbes and author of four books, Marketing to Millennials, Marketing with Kids, Marketing to Gen Z, and The Purpose Advantage. Thank you very much, Jeff, for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Audrey. So, as of uh, 2020, uh, the Gen Z demographic group constitutes one-third of the worldwide global population. However, many of us do not truly understand their characteristics, if I may say. You often refer to Gen Zers as old souls in young bodies. What do you mean by that? Sure. Again, thank you, Audrey. So when I talk about old souls and young bodies, we define Gen Z born in 96, so one year different. But uh, mm -hmm. what we found in our research was their attitudes, beliefs, and values in many ways mirrored people who were over the age of 50 but their digital, social, and mobile behavior does not. They're much more involved, engaged, et cetera, in digital, social, and mobile technologies. But they believe in hard work and their values around planning for the future and money and responsibility are very inconsistent with the myths we heard about millennials. Not all millennials are broke and unemployed and living in their parents' basements among a collection of participation trophies. These are myths that are untrue, and they don't help us when we think about engaging consumers. And so one of the things we wanted to highlight when we did this research is just how similar, in many ways, this group of younger adults and teenagers is to people who are significantly older than them. And values seem to be critical to Gen Z in, in all aspects, 
brands targeting youth increasingly express statements and commitments related to diversity, social justice, or sustainability. We, we see that actually every day. And not only social values attract young consumers, they are even willing to pay more. Uh, according to a Bloomberg survey, around 50% of Gen Z would pay significantly more for a product if the brand or retailer were to promote environmental initiatives compared to less than 30% for baby boomers. In other words, brands with a purpose do better with Gen Z, as you say, in the purpose advantage. Is it possible then to create brand engagement with Gen Z without losing touch with the other generations? What a fantastic question, Audrey. Yes, the answer is, in, in a nutshell, you can. And in terms of creating brand engagement, there are a lot of ways to do that. Some of that is through the design of the product or service experience. Some of that is through the internal culture. Some companies are able to create where people are interested and fascinated in their internal culture. And some of that is through marketing and communications. And in today's day and age, what we often see is companies leaning in to their purpose. For example, uh, I don't know if you have an ice cream brand in France called Ben & Jerry's. Is, is it over there? Yes. Okay. So is it a company that makes ice cream or is it a company that has a social justice focus that happens to make ice cream as their product? And consumers are willing to pay a fairly significant price premium, ignoring deals of the day from competitors. And, and that's because the soul of their brand is wrapped around social justice. And so what we're seeing is uh, during the COVID crisis, there was a big uptick in philanthropy from companies. We saw LVMH in France, for example, convert systems to be able to make hand sanitizer. And we saw philanthropic donations of monetary value. And while philanthropic gifts, cash gifts, if you were, were smart uh, for the short term last year because of the COVID crisis, that's not the right long-term brand strategy. Mm -hmm. The right long-term brand strategy is to integrate your purpose and sustainability into your business model. I can share examples of that, but, but, what, but what we see is more and more consumers will pay a small price premium for brands that reduce their environmental impact, or um, have a social justice component. And so when that happens, basically the consumer doesn't make a donation to the cause. The consumer pays a few extra pennies, if we're using U.S. currency, to a small percentage premium because the values of the company align to their personal values. And we see this more and more. So the conversation is shifting as consumers not all consumers, but a percentage of consumers, a significant percentage, will pay a very small price premium for those brands who they feel add good to society. And these consumers for you are directly linked to the change provoked by Gen Z? Or do you make a difference with the general expectations from consumers? So uh, it's a great question. And uh, if your listeners would like, we have quite a bit of research. Some of it's public facing at Barclay us.com and some is not and they can contact me what i would simplify the research to say is the generation that most cares about purpose and sustainability is generation z having said that it's still important to millennials gen x baby boomers 
The generation that's probably least interested is maybe the silent generation, but we're talking about people who are much, much older who grew up in a different era. And so purpose and sustainability matters, period, paragraph. It matters more on average to consumers who are younger, under the age of 40, than it do, which would be Gen Z and millennials for sure, than it does to consumers who are over the age of 70, 75 years old. But it matters to all. Having in mind uh, that the members of Gen Z are more racially and ethnically diverse than any previous generation, in what ways do you think they are instrumental in pushing brands to take a stand on racial justice and structural racism after the wave of social unrest and protests uh, that shook the U.S. and the world over the last summer? You know, first, if you took a half step back, At some level, at least in the U.S., one could argue, regardless of your politics, that collaboration would not be a word to describe how Democrats and Republicans work together. And so when you have a lack of collaboration, you have a void. On top of that, and certainly in the U.S., and I think globally, you have organized religion generally failing to attract young people into organized religion of all varieties, Christianity, Judaism, Hindu, Muslim, etc., across religions at the same rate they historically have in terms of belonging and participating in traditional ways. And so in the U.S., when you have a failure of collaboration at government and you have a failure of religion to attract across all forms, you have a gap. And that gap is a gap around purpose and meaning. And, con and consumers and people of all walks of life have a need to belong, right? That's a, a basic human need. And so what's happened is, as a result, more and more brands are stepping up and saying, we have a point of view, and our point of view will not be suppressed. In fact, we believe by expressing our point of view, some people will be more likely to use us. And so we see companies like Walmart, who historically has taken no position on a lot of topics, take a position. We see companies just a couple days ago, like Twitter, ban the president of the United States from their platform. Mm -hmm. and, and there are people who are for and against that. And there are people for and against Walmart because they took a position on gun policy, because there were employees afraid for their lives who were working in their stores This is a new normal. What I would tell you is taking no stand whatsoever is a failing strategy. Companies don't have to have a point of view on every topic, but there are certain topics core to their business model where they should have a point of view and they can't wait for the crisis du jour to occur to express the point of view. They have to get in front of it. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. I would like to go back to uh, the case study you mentioned, Ben and Jerry's. You have studied closely uh, the way Ben and Jerry's successfully engaged in the discussions around the Black Lives Matter movement last summer. Could you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. Ben and Jerry's, along with other companies in the U.S. and that are big companies, companies like Microsoft and others, including companies like Dove, which is uh, Procter Gamble, have focused on social justice in different ways. And so Ben and Jerry's core 
when a crisis like this occurs, it was almost made for them because prison reform is a topic that Ben and Jerry's has been on for a long time. And prison reform in many ways is rooted in racial inequality because the rates of incarceration are so much higher for people of color. And so what the company did was they had a plan before that crisis started. And the important thing that I said just a moment ago, regardless of the topic, is that companies should have a point of view and a plan before the next crisis starts. And so that way they're not caught unprepared because there will be future crises. There will be future conversations. There will be future problems, regardless of what country you're in and what political persuasion is ruling at that moment in time. The issue is there's a fundamental consumer change where consumers expect companies to treat their employees fairly, to act as good corporate citizens. And I use the term act because it's not just donating, which was the right thing to do during a a health crisis, but to take brand actions. And Ben and Jerry's is very good at that. They give their employees quite a bit of latitude on acting. And so that's not a strategic decision that's a noun, but rather a verb where the brand takes action in favor of their point of view on a position or topic. In this case, we're talking about Black Lives Matter, an important topic, but it could be other topics. It could be an environmental topic or something else that other companies are looking at that's more relevant to their brand. Mm -hmm. The operative thing is, it's not just having a point of view that's strategic and smart. That's step one. It's making sure your employees understand it and that your external stakeholders, consumers, customers, communities see it. Otherwise, it's purpose washing. And purpose washing is worse than doing nothing at all. 93% of Gen Z expect that if a company makes a commitment publicly, they need to have resources to follow through and live up to it. This means greater accountability for companies beyond curated words and pictures in the stories they tell accountability in the product they sell, their sourcing practices, their human resources policy, their governance, their investment strategy, and so on. Uh, with Gen Z, companies should align their own model with the values they say they support, uh, thereby developing actual ESG strategies. You write, Jeff, that today's modern consumer, as well as the employees that work with you, expect brand action. Can marketing be the Trojan horse for more ESG in companies thanks to the pressure put by young consumers, in your view? Not entirely. I think some of this is consumer-driven for sure. Some of this is employee expectations about the places they choose to work. And there's a third component at least emerging on Wall Street, which is ESG is no longer just a defensive decision. In other words, we're not going to invest in tobacco for defensive reasons, but rather an offensive decision. And that is companies that add good to society see long-term brand preference. Long-term brand preference means they get small price elasticity improvement, some small frequency of use improvement, and therefore over time, their stock price is actually better. And I had the chance to interview the CEO of Unilever North America, which is a UK-based company, and they have 400 brands they own. More than a dozen of those brands are billion-dollar brands like Ben & Jerry's. Mm -hmm. And they see, and this is public-facing, you can see it on their site, something in the order of 69% of their growth 
come from a very small number of those 400 brands. And those brands are what they call their sustainable living brands. And so at the end of the day, I think it's important to recognize we shouldn't just add good to society as companies because it's the right thing to do, but also financially, it's better for all stakeholders. And so when I say better for all stakeholders, ultimately, that means some improvement in profit and value of the company, some improvement in brand, some improvement in employee engagement, some improvement in consumer loyalty. And the term loyalty is a little bit of a mis misnomer. It's not about consumer monogamy. Uh, I don't expect you to only eat at McDonald's if you like the brand McDonald's. I just mm -hmm. expect to get more of your share of stomach than my competitor or any other brand. I don't expect you to only shop at Walmart. I just want more of your share of wallet than my competitor. So let's be clear. It's not that consumers are 100% loyal to one brand of perfume or one restaurant or one retailer or one alcohol beverage maker. It's just their share should be advantaged by these things. And so I, what I look for is this purpose profit loop or cycle where the company and the, and the employees and the consumers are all benefiting. Uh, and the purpose of the company is not strictly to maximize profits, but it's not an unimportant component. It's profits and more. Mm -hmm. Unlike millennials uh, who came of age during the Great Recession, Gen Z was in line to inherit a strong economy with record low unemployment, in particular in the US. However, expectations have changed dramatically as COVID-19 has reshaped the world's social and economic landscape. Instead of looking ahead to a world of opportunities, Gen Z may peer into an uncertain future. How do you think the pandemic has affected Gen Z's preferences, if at all? And do you think it has in turn impacted brands and their marketing strategies to keep the dialogue open with their audience? It's a terrific question, and I, and I wrote a little bit about this in Forbes mm -hmm. just a few days ago, which you may have already seen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so there are some big trends around Gen Z that, that we should understand. For example, Gen Z is training algorithms, not dogs. They're training algorithms because they have such high social, digital, mobile usage, and they want to make, get more information of the con that's related to the content that interests them and less of the stuff that we would consider junk. And so as we think about brands, what we have to understand is Gen Z will trade up to brands they like, and they will trade down to lower cost brands if there isn't a strong brand. And so sometimes brands will say, well, they're disloyal. No, they're not disloyal. What they are is savvy. And that means if you're a strong brand, you're winning. And if you're a weak brand, you want to feel better about yourself by saying they're disloyal instead of saying we don't have a very strong brand. And so the rules of the road are changing. And it's not uncommon to see Gen Z do this kind of day trading where they literally have brands that have values that align to their own that be become the brands they'll pay a small price premium for. And then in other categories, there might not be a strong brand. And so they go to the cheapest option possible. Mm -hmm. And so this can be confusing to brand strategists and company leaders because they, they misinterpret these signals. In our work on whole brands, Uh, in our research, what we found is a connection between uh, consumer preference and long-term public company stock preference, and that brand mattered a lot. It didn't matter what category we're talking about. 
we could talk apparel, we could talk alcoholic beverages, CPG food, retail. There's a strong connection between whole brand performance and stock performance. The challenge being if you're not a strong brand, you need to create a path to becoming one or you need to decide to compete on low price and take cost out of your ecosystem uh, because the the middle uh, appears to be a very dangerous and difficult place to play. Jeff, I now have few rapid fire questions for you. The first one is one brand that has embraced the most Gen Z's wishes and embodies its values. Probably Nike or YouTube. You know, those would be two of the top performing brands. The most disrupting innovation for you. The brand that's disrupting with disruptive innovation to Gen Z, probably TikTok. A word that would summarize the last year and the one you expect for the year that is just beginning. Last year, probably chaotic. And right now, chaotic might be the same word, although I expect more collaboration. The last book you read? Uh, I just finished Bad Blood, which is the story of Theranos, the company that's trying to re reinvent the healthcare company that went bankrupt mm -hmm. and, and, and um, you know, took about a billion dollars of investor money and absconded with it. It's bad blood. It was very good. And, and we'll hear a lot about that story in 2021 because uh, Elizabeth Holmes faces a criminal trial later this year. Uh, I just finished that book a couple days ago, but I'm listening on, on tape to uh, Barack Obama's book uh, as well, which is interesting. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you. And if people are interested in the research that I referenced, they can contact me directly or they can look to the Barclay US, that's B-A-R-K-L-E-Y-U-S website. And also there will be uh, some information and resources on our podcast. Thank you for having me. My guest today was Jeff Fromm, author, Forbes contributor and president of Futurecast, a forward-thinking trend consultancy and a partner at Barclay based in the US. We would love to hear from you about Brand New. Please help us out and take the brief five-question survey you can find in this episode's notes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Brand & New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover Brand & New. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.